We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Thing on. See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and it's week five. Chiefs week, baby. This is our week five preview, the Buffalo Bills against the Kansas City Chiefs. And I, I Chris. It's our Super Bowl. This this is, it's one of those games, right? I mean, let's run down all the particulars first. Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard, the place, Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, Missouri. The weather seems like a great night for football. It's going to be partly cloudy, maybe some scattered showers, 59 degrees. The line, the Bills are plus three, which is the first time they've been an underdog all season. Well, it means it's it's even. You get three points from being at home. So it's an even matchup. And on the call, it's Carl Sheffers, to which I say, bleh. Chris, you're looking at a picture of him right now. You know that guy. Yeah, I've seen him before. Yeah, he's uh, he's ruined quite a few nights of mine, Carl Sheffers. And on the call, I thought it was going to be a Mike Tirico game. It is not. It is Al Collins. It's the Al Michaels, Chris Collins worth. Chris, does Chris Collins worth, as somebody who does this, Chris, now, does it take you out of the game the way it does to me? I don't mind Collinsworth is like... Everyone else I know generally hates him. It's 
I don't like him more for his. I think he says, "Here's a guy." That's, <laughs> that's his. That's like his his main quote. Here's a guy. You pick dot out his, dot dot. So did you just pick out Chris Collinsworth's verbal crutch? Yeah. And now it's all I'm going to hear during this broadcast. Here's a guy. Yeah. Here's a guy. Oh no, folks. Tweet us at Rockpile Report how many times you hear Chris Collinsworth say, here's a guy, this Sunday night. Oh, no. The injuries to watch for. For Buffalo, you've got a whole bunch of guys who are day-to-days. Strong safety Jordan, Jordan Poyer, weak side linebacker Matt Milano, and nickel cornerback Teron Johnson, who are all, well, Matt Milano left early. And Poyer and Johnson, who were held out of last week's game, along with John Feliciano, who was in the concussion protocol. I think that this is all precautionary. I mean, the three guys who sat out last week, I'm glad they did, because this is a game you want to have them right for. Yeah, like I said, it's our Super Bowl. With Matt Milano, I, from everything I heard, not just in the you know, just in the stadium being around people on Twitter, but also just on the broadcast re-watching it, I heard it said that it was held out for precautionary measures. I heard that term used, which seems smart. On the Kansas City side of the ball, they've got uh, defensive end Joshua Kando left late last game with an ankle injury. He may be questionable. Defensive end Frank Clark's been battling a hamstring injury literally all season. Shervarius Ward and Rashad Fenton, two of the guys who were supposed to be their number, arguably number two, number one, number three, like they were going to be in their top three cornerbacks, both missed last week with a quad and a concussion. They're both questionable for this week. Chris, this Sunday, Bills, Chiefs. I've heard it called a revenge game. I've heard it called a measuring stick game. I've heard it called a must-win game. I mean, these are all things I keep hearing people say. Bills fans, Chiefs fans, over and over and over again about this this primetime matchup between the two teams that you kind of assume, are we the heavyweights in the AFC? The way we're playing right now, yeah. But we need to we need to play some competition. You can't look at wins over Miami and shutout wins over Miami and Houston and that's low level teams. We need comp. So what's your take on the magnitude of this game for Buffalo? It's huge. This will all this might ultimately decide home field advantage throughout the playoffs, if that's in Kansas City or Buffalo. Maybe. Or maybe it's just one more football game. It feels huge. What's it? <laughs> All I can think of is Aqua Teen Hunger Force, where they're talking about uh, Carl, and they were like, oh, crabs. He goes, it's something about him having crabs, and he goes, eh, I don't know if they're Alaskan king, but uh, they feel huge. <laughs> for those of you not familiar, you're probably better off for it. Do not go Googling Aqua Teen Hunger Force, because if you find out I watched that show, you'll think less of me. It's okay, though, because humor's humor, and I find things funny. Knowing that Going into this season, we all knew we were going to play the Kansas City Chiefs. That's what you get for having a first-place schedule, you know, finishing first in your, con- in your division. You end up playing somebody else's number one and a bunch of other number ones. It's strange, but have the Chiefs replaced the Patriots in your mind from decades past? As far as what? A rivalry? In terms of not just a rivalry, but also 
the team that you're pacing around waiting for the schedule release just to see when and how you're going to be facing them. It used to be the Tom Brady Patriots because you knew that you were going to go up against greatness. And that if you could just do well, it gave credence to the idea that your team might be one of the, uh, you know, that your team might be great. Yeah, I don't. The Chiefs replaced them in your mind the way they have mine. I don't. No, I need more matchups because I don't think if you were to guarantee, because the only way we're going to play each other is if we finish in first in our respective divisions. But I can see Buffalo finishing first, you know, over the next five years based on where everyone else is in our division in the West. You might get some flip flop with. L.A. and Kansas City, so in that regard, we might not play Kansas City every year. Well, I know, but that makes it all that much more important to me. Because you think about what this Chiefs team has meant to the AFC. They have been the gold standard. Even the year they lost to Brady, didn't... Even the year they lost to Brady in the AFC Championship game, you knew it was coming, right? Yeah. Like, you knew that, hey, this Chiefs team is on the rise and they're going to be good for a very long time. And that's that's bore out. And now with this idea that we may not play them, I don't want to just keep... Because you can't, you can't keep ducking it, right? Yeah. You have to eventually go beat these guys. You have to. I don't care whether it's here. I don't care whether it's there. I mean... Philosophically, we looked up at the Patriots for years, and they became the game that everyone got hyped about. Bills versus Patriots. When is it going to be? Where is it going to be? Let's get fired up for it. We've spent two decades thinking like that because our only goal was to win the division, right? Win the division and make the playoffs. The only way you can do that is by beating the Patriots. Now that we've vanquished that specter and built a truly competitive football team, to your point, the most competitive one in the AFC East, those goals have changed. And with that comes bigger obstacles. And that brings us to the Kansas City Chiefs. Are you finally ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. The excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. Get exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on the action with your favorite teams and players from the NFL, MLB, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Right now at WinBet, you can find great promos, odds, and payouts from boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport. WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That brings us once again, excruciatingly, almost like, it, it, of course, we talk about it just being inevitable, to Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, the, they're always going to be, for as long as these two quarterbacks with these two teams in this conference are the way they are, they're on an inevitable collision course. And the way they played last year made you know, <laughs> this was going to happen. Now it's here. And just like last year, to walk us through, we bring back one of our favorite analysts in all of football. Brett Coleman. I don't know what inferior swill this is, but I ordered a Lagavulin. The film room. Take a sip. It's not smoky at all. YouTube.com slash Brett Coleman. Yeah, it's Lagavulin. Come on. That's not Lagavulin. Mr. Coleman, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me, boys. Thanks for joining us. I'm glad we could make this happen. Uh, it's weird trying to make schedules mesh East Coast, West Coast. You know, the whole... You've kind of got a wonky work schedule, huh? Oh, yeah. I'll place this week. I'm recording podcast last night till 1230 in the morning and film room tonight and then I'm working on a project for Caesars that's coming out it, it, it's a, it's a wild week for me part of the reason why I'm not going out to KC for this game which originally I wanted to do I was going to fly out because um, I'm, I'm buddies with the KC Sports Network guys they're having events they're, they're pumped for the game but uh, I have so much stuff coming out this week that I literally didn't have time to fly to the game. So I'm going to be watching it on TV just like everybody else. Ah, just like a, just like a, you're like uh, Ray Liotta at the end of Goodfellas. You're just an everyday schmuck. That's that's just how it is now for you this weekend. <laughs> for those of you who live under a rock, Brett is the creator of the Film Room on YouTube. Some of the most, Chris, some of the most professional content I've ever seen. I mean, you sat me down and had me watch the video that he, what was it, the creator of the spread offense? Yeah. Your video, it was 30 minutes, and it blew me away visually and with the depth of information, along with your ability to keep me engaged. Because sometimes you get into a concept like that, you start digging into it, it can get a little bit dry if you're not a person who loves the X's and O's of football, and yet I was hanging on until the very end. I mean, you and multiple times I, I look and, you know, Chris would pause the video to be like, you'd come up with a statistic or a piece of information. And he's just throws his hands up and goes, how does he find this stuff? Where did he find this video clip? You put together some of the most unique content over there. I mean, I know it eats up so much of your time, but it's fantastic. And for anybody who hasn't yet, we're going to link it in the show's description. Go check it out. The Film Room on YouTube. He's also the co-host of the Bootleg Football Podcast. And he's a craft cocktail connoisseur, and I've been waiting to have you back on the show so that we can talk to you about this, because you've ruined a part of my life, Brett. You don't know that you did, but you did, because after watching your videos the way he does, Chris has now adopted craft cocktails as a hobby, like a legitimate one. He's, He's in now. 
and it, it, it irritates me on a level that I, I have a hard time communicating. <laughs> Why? Because you can't drink anything else because it's so damn good? <sighs> it, it, it's like he already wears chinos and he has his hair done in like this. Not He constantly corrects me because it's not a mohawk. Well, what it is call? now. Oh, now it is. He rollerblades shirtless in public. Like he's this guy, right? With sea salt, salt spray on his vanity and hair product all over the place. Now he's added craft cocktails to his repertoire, and it, it started off as a small thing, right? Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a muddler, and then I'm gonna get some bourbon, and then I'm gonna get a little more adventurous with my bourbons. How many do you have over on your counter right now? I think I have fifteen. Uh. How many liquor bottles, exotic liquors in total do you have over there? Probably like 20 to 25. I mean, I, I, there's... Rookie ab- numbers. There's yeah. absinthe. There's... Yeah. Like, I have absinthe in a spray bottle. Instead of doing a rinse, you just... Oh, couple of absolutely. Sprays. It's, it's, yeah, you use an atomizer. It's so much better. Yes. You a much more even wash to it. <laughs> Folks, if you could see the look I, on my face right now, someone just used the term <laughs> atomizer on a podcast that I'm a part of, and I don't know how to feel about it. <laughs> You, so he's got a bag. He's got an ice bag and an ice hammer. Yeah, a Lewis bag. Yeah, that's the best way to get crushed ice. See? God, <laughs> you uncultured swine. <laughs> so, so I want you to know that, like, throughout the course of this season, like most of the nights we record, Chris has to work now. So I'm the only one drinking. I'm drinking for two. So during the off season, though, when we booze, he refuses to drink beer. Now it's just all these cocktails and i want to hate a lot of them but to your point they're delicious and i I, again i want to be mad at you both but i can't i mean i I, i'm right there on the doorstep of it and yet these things are delicious now for your for your taste since you're going to be sitting at home like a normal everyday schmuck watching these games i'm i'm assuming you're not going to be doing it without a cocktail in your hand what is your craft drink recommendations to our listeners for a primetime football game? Uh, well, specifically for Bills fans, um, I've been kind of tinkering with a recipe because I'm, I'm, I, I try to like make a cocktail for every single team. So like I did the Baker's Dozen for the Browns, which has like brown sugar bourbon in it and rye and like 13 different kinds of bitters. And it's, it's awesome. Uh, for the Bills specifically, I kind of – uh, did a cocktail last year that I've still been tweaking every now and then called uh, Poncho's Revenge, named after the great Poncho Bila. And it's like uh, it's like a whiskey sour, but spicy because it uses chili, chili bitters. And uh, instead of putting like a dropper of bitters on the top, I use uh, Frank's. <laughs> Frank sauce on top. And it sound, I know it sounds disgusting, but it's actually not. And uh, I'll have to find the exact recipe and send it over to you guys. But it, it's it, it's a Bill's themed cocktail. I don't I don't necessarily think it's quite done, but it's pretty damn close. And uh, if you like whiskey sours, spicy whiskey sours, it's pretty good. See, when we were at when I was in Atlanta and we would watch the games at the Bills Bar, we would have the Buffalo Slut, which is a shot, Jaeger peach schnapps, and Tabasco. It's delicious. Oh Jesus. Delicious. There's no way that's good. <laughs> it is like when what, the best is when you get like a bartender that's like their first time bartending in the Bills area, and you go to the bar and you order a shot and you tell them what it is, and they just look at you confused, and then they just do like a dash of Tabasco, and you're watching them, and you just go keep going, <laughs> keep going, 
they're like they're like why am i why am i here bartending these animals that are ordering <laughs> tabasco in cocktails I don't know. I used to do a thing oh, just to freak people out called the Prairie Fire, which is where you take a rocks glass, you pour approximately two shots of Yukon Jack, it's 100 proof whiskey in it, and then you put about seven or eight dashes of Tabasco, and you fire the whole thing back at once. Hey, that you sounds see, so disturbing. It just creeps people out. But in, in any event... If you guys want to see more craft cocktails and things like that, brought to YouTube channels littered with them. He literally starts all of his videos with a little rendition of what he's drinking, what he's made. Um, and he did actually give me, because you guys were talking about smoked cocktails, the smoke top thing, Chris. Yeah. Our, our new studio is going to have one. All right. In-house for every podcast, because that's my gift to you for being one of the greatest podcast producers of all time. But so let's talk about this upcoming matchup with Kansas City because it's it's easily the Bills' biggest game thus far this season. And I want to start on the defensive side of the ball. The Chiefs are maybe one of the most precarious situations in the NFL right now, mostly because when you look at the nature of their division and their 2-2 two and two start, I mean, they're not out of it by any stretch of the imagination. They're just two games back from having, I, I, what are they, two games back from a division lead now? I mean, you've got the. Uh, the see, two. They're, they're two and two. Chargers are three and one, but the Chargers hold the tiebreakers. So, I mean, technically, game and a half, but realistically, yeah, it's two games. Okay, so you're two games back from leading your division. But there are some real flaws staring this team in the face, and a lot of them have to do with their defense. I mean, there, there were some warning signs of this stuff early. I mean, you find, in week one, you, they find themselves in a 20 point hole to open the season against Cleveland. And then they give up 251 rushing yards to the Ravens, who have this kind of patchwork offensive line and kind of a wonky running back stable that was just decimated by injury. And you saw them being outclassed in situations where old Kansas City teams would find a way to stiffen up and inevitably find their composure, at least enough to steal a close, high-scoring game. But now you watch them, and they're giving up big plays in the moments that they used to make them, and it's essentially putting all the weight on their offense to carry the entire team to victory. They said, I'm shocked. What do you think when you look at the defense that Kansas City's rolled out so far this season? I think that uh, a, a big thing is that they've struggled with, with, in particular, their interior defensive line has not played up to the standard that I expected from them. Like, you look at their roster – like they're just their actual roster and you look at their interior defensive line rotation you're like wow these are a bunch of killers like i know you know frank clark is hurt and had the hammy it's not like he was playing particularly great before that um but it's it's not just chris jones it's all of them that on paper they they should have been an absolute force to be reckoned with and they just haven't been they've gotten blown off the ball um you know whether it's gap scheme or zone scheme the holes have absolutely been there and then when you throw mobile quarterbacks on top of that the last three games it's lamar it's justin herbert who can also run a little bit they do some zone read stuff with him every now and then and that that kind of opens up the backside. and then jalen hurts you know he's very mobile as well you know there were there were some holes to be had on the ground the only team that really punished them the most for it was the Ravens because they're absolutely a run-heavy team. They ran it like 30-plus times in that game, even though they were behind at times. Um, but I think that the the Bills, when I look at this game, if they get Allen involved in the run game, 
and kind of even up the numbers, I don't think that the interior defensive line for the Chiefs is playing well enough right now to win those one-on-ones and kind of steal gaps. I, I really want to see a lot of zone read. I want to see some QB power. Like, this is the game where you really put it all on the line with, with Allen and you say, okay, you're going to have to get some carries for us to open things up for the running backs. And if they can do that, if they can just kind of control this game on the ground and just keep the ball away from Mahomes as much as possible, they have a really good shot to win it. See, now this is – I didn't want to bring this up, you know, you being a long-suffering Texans fan. I figure you've probably had enough at this point. But uh, anybody who watched Bills, Texans, uh, or, or just knows who Brian Baldinger is, maybe follows him on Twitter, uh, you go, go and get yourself an eyeful of what Josh Allen's capable of uh, when he decides to keep the ball on the ground. <laughs> that, that fake, what is it, like a fake quarterback dive into what, what is essentially a quarterback sweep for 17 yards, I think. <laughs> He's just running yeah, down the sideline, I mean, stiff-arming people. He, he's like Cam Newton athletically, you know, maybe not as graceful as Cam. I think he's a little bit stiffer than Cam. But in terms of like just overwhelming size and speed, like, yeah, he's he's got that kind of frame where if you really need to get two yards, I trust Allen to get it more than I trust the running backs. And there's not a whole lot of teams I can say that about maybe like five or six where it's like if in, in short yardage, the quarterback is the is the go to guy. But that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, now, what I'm curious is, is this going to be a Devin Singletary game or is this going to be a Zach Moss game? They had a completely even carry split last week. For me, I think it should be a Devin Singletary game. Again, we'll see what they do. But in those high leverage situations, short yardage, goal line, all that kind of stuff, the Chiefs are second to last in the league in terms of allowing short yardage conversions factor that in again with Allen being such a good short yardage weapon like that's what I want to see ball control ball control ball control that's how Kansas City beat Buffalo last time was ball control Buffalo needs to do it back to him oh for sure and to your point when you talk about some of the things going on up front for the Chiefs just so our listeners are aware the Chiefs defensive line was essentially supposed to be the backbone of this unit itself they spent $46.5 million on the defensive line this offseason, which leads the NFL in D-line spending. And yet they haven't had a single game this season where they've graded positively in terms of run defense, and they're owners of a league-low 29% pass rush win rate, which is crazy to me. When you consider that, like, the Eagles this past weekend had to plug in a brand-new starter for offensive tackle Lane Johnson literally the morning of the game. They found out they weren't going to have him at their disposal, plugged in a backup, and they still allowed his backup to post a positive pass-blocking grade. My lotto was out, too. They had two backup tackles. So you've seen a lot of football. They put 30 points. That's almost inexcusable for a line that, is I guess because I guess they're getting by a name, but for the money they spent, that's a that's a really shitty return on investment, isn't it? Yeah, and I I think it's uh, you know te- honestly this has been kind of a low key problem for them for a while. Like last year in the back half of the season, they their their pass rush was really only getting going when they were bringing blitzes and simulated pressures and getting the DBs and, and linebackers involved. They they really couldn't win with four unless they were bringing four from pretty crazy angles. 
um, contrast that to Buffalo where they bring four now, like just straight up, they bring the defensive line and they get home. So it's, it's two very different situations. Um, and I think teams went back and looked at it and they're like, they still don't really have great edge rushers outside of Frank Clark. So we're just going to use six man protection DBs and linebackers that they're going to have to send anyway. And with these six man protections, you know, the secondary, there's gaping holes because they run mostly zone in the back end. Like there there's going to be yards to have there, too. So like their problem stylistically is going back to what it was last year, which is they don't have an edge rusher. Their best one right now is probably Chris Jones. And that says a lot like it is a major problem for them and um i i really think that the that buffalo is going to be able to score a lot here because of that well it's funny to me because i listen to the sound bites out there from both the players and the coaches on kansas city and the thing i keep hearing is communication is the root of all their problems i mean they all keep trotting out a lot of football tropes uh, matthew goes out in a press conference and claims that the secondary quote-unquote just has its wires crossed sometimes and that they're losing focus out there uh, they're $10 million a year in their defensive signal caller, Anthony Hitchens, at linebacker. He's admitted that he's relayed the incorrect play calls and at times just, quote-unquote, isn't in the right place when I need to be. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's great that you're owning it, but that's like, Chris, that's like me coming in here and going, hey, yeah, sorry I got drunk and threw some shit around your apartment last night. Sorry. Like, me owning it doesn't make it okay. It doesn't change the fact that it's happening and that it's a detriment to everybody involved. I mean, you look at the statistics. They're 31st in scoring defense at 31.2 points per game, 26th in sack percentage, 25th in opposing quarterback rating allowed of 104.2. They're the worst red zone scoring defense. Here's the interesting one to me. I mean, to your point, you made a a good point about their conversions rushing. They're 32nd in the NFL in rushing first downs allowed per game. So they're letting teams eat them up on the ground. They're 31st in fourth quarter scoring allowed at 12.2 points per game in the fourth quarter. I I hear these things they're saying, and I look at these numbers, and I say, okay, you can say, hey, I, I didn't communicate well. I was in the wrong place. That guy's not being in the right place at the right time doesn't generate that kind of failure. It just doesn't. And then you start to look at the analytics side of things and you say, okay, both literally and physically, your biggest presence is on the defensive line. Jaron Reed is probably the biggest flop for them this season. They added him. And this is a dynamic I think gets lost on people. They added Jaron Reed because he was supposed to be this big space eater that you were going to throw in the middle of the defensive line, specifically so you could move Frank Clark full-time to defensive end. And then you had Derek Nottie and Mike Dana all of those guys are in the bottom of the NFL for run defense grades. Now, how much of that do you think is Frank Clark still acclimating to being a full-time defensive end? I, I mean, because I know that that switch can't, it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world to go from saying, hey, I'm a really good kind of 3-4 D end who can be a tweener in a 4-3, but now I'm outside full-time, I'm still learning the technique. Do you think that's part of this or where, what, do you, what do you think is causing this? I mean, that definitely is part of it. Um, You know, Frank Clark, he's always been kind of a a streaky player where if he's going against a tackle that really doesn't have a great anchor, yeah, he can win with power and everything like that. But if he's going against, you know, a a big, strong, long tackle that can match power for power, 
I don't necessarily think that he's always had, um, you know, good hips or good quicks, like say like a, a Bosa brother or something that, that can kind of do like an inside out and win with something other than power. Like that stab is really deadly for him. But, you know, when you, when you go up against like a, yeah, I don't know, any Bills offensive lineman who I think they all have pretty good anchors, it's, it's not a it's not an ideal matchup for him. Uh, another way that he generates sacks is he's really good on stunts and everything like that in terms of being able to pick guys and then come off late and finish. Like mm-hmm. again, he he has his role and he's good at what he's good at, but he's not he's not like a Miles Garrett that you know pick your poison. He can win any different kind of way. So that I think kind of makes him more of a matchup dependent edge rusher. Chris Jones is kind of the only guy where he's matchup independent, where he can beat any kind of guy. But only having one of those type of rushers where, okay, we're just going to slide towards 95 and we'll deal with the consequences of everybody else. If you don't have anybody else that can you know, pay that off, their pass rush is going to look like what their pass rush looks like, like right now. Not to mention, like you look at their coverage situation, Nick Bolton, Anthony Hitchens, like all their linebackers that are playing right now, none of them are really great in coverage that's part of the at least in man coverage they're they're fine in zone but that's part of the reason why they have to play so much zone is like do you really trust some of these linebackers (laughs) one-on-one to to go step for step on like a rail route or you know god forbid matching up with like a a really athletic tight end absolutely not their one coverage linebacker at least one linebacker that i felt was was good in those kind of situations because he's athletic is willie gay and he's on ir so we're kind well, of back to the situation support, that we had before. And he may be activated this week. That is yet to be seen. But the real and who even knows if that means he'll play. But the reality is it would be his first game of the season, which that would be yes. a, that, that would be getting thrown into the deep end of the swimming pool, having your very first start of the year come against the Buffalo Bills as soon as you think you're healthy enough. And just back to the defensive line for a minute, because there's something I, I just, it's stuck in my craw here and I can't get past it. So the defensive line fails. They're not doing their job, even though they're paid like they sh- They're paid to be the backbone, the thing that stabilizes this team. You watch the run grades and the coverage grades from everybody beyond that just degrade from there. Because that lack of push puts pressure on their linebackers. Now, Hitchens, Neiman, and Bolton are getting gashed in run defense and their, their tackle numbers are poor. Then, because you've got guys getting to the second level, the defensive backs, who, if you're talking about guys like Tyron Matthew, Daniel Sorensen, they're built more to be coverage experts who can attack the football at times, but they're not, none of them are overly physical when it comes to stopping the run, much less coming downhill in the second level and dealing with blockers that are getting there. But that's happening on more and more of a routine basis. And so now you look at, as a team, they're one of the worst run-graded teams. And I see this, and I look at, the only thing I can point to is Jaron Reed. He's playing more than 60% of the team's snaps, but he's one of the worst players. And so now you've got Frank Clark kind of shifting out of a comfort zone where they used to be able to hide him sometimes, use his quickness and his kind of, to your point, he's one-dimensional or he doesn't have as many ways to win. But if you have him inside against slower guards, he can make more opportunities for himself and you can run more games. When you have a guy like Jaron Reed who isn't doing anything well, he's, I mean, he's their Cody Ford, for a Bills fan's analogy. He's been, he's been, Jaron Reed has been their Cody Ford on the defensive line. And yet they're giving him the lion's share of the snaps. And I think that's to the detriment of their team. I mean, you're watching in run defense, the Eagles only ran 10 times with their running backs last week. 
but averaged 4.4 yards a carry, including Gainwell, Kenneth Gainwell, who had 10 yards per carry and a touchdown. I mean, this is a defense that is on the ropes, and a lot of it just has to do with the fact that stylistically a lot of them don't mesh. And you don't have a lot of... You don't have the imposing talents that you had before. And one of the things you're looking at is Spagnuolo to carry the day. I mean, he did it against Buffalo in that AFC Championship game last year. Spagnuolo was the reason that they were so stifling. And to your point, they did it with a lot of blitzes from the linebacker core, blitzing from the secondary, blitzing from the safety level. They'd send a delayed safety blitz and Allen never saw it coming. And it would create pressure and he'd check down or he'd throw the ball away. It, they harassed him the entire game, but it was blitz by committee. It wasn't just, hey, we're going to get coverage sacks and trust our line to do the heavy lifting. And it seems like that has really kind of, it's been exacerbated here in 2021. Before we move on, if you had to compare defensive capabilities apples to apples, is it safe to say that the Bills hold a significant advantage in this matchup? Uh just on defense, our defense I, against their defense. Oh yeah, yeah. Like just comparing unit to unit. Like it's yeah. not even, like the Bills. Uh, irregardless, that's not that's not a real word, Brett. What are you saying? Regardless of, <laughs> I love it when people say it though. <laughs> regardless of who they've played, two shutouts in the NFL in the last three weeks is a significant achievement. You look at at their personnel, like some of the some of the growth that their guys. Uh, have seen this year like Ed Oliver is playing way better than I think at any other point in his career uh, Epinesa dropping the weight has made a massive difference in him like the defensive line is playing out of their minds um, the one the one and it's not like a, a scheme or a talent issue the one thing that does give me a little bit of pause is I don't know what's going to happen with Milano like they need him on the field I wish, um, I wish which we seems could like go every back. time the Bills play the Chiefs, it always comes down to, is Milano going to play? I wish and we could go we back to again. last year's podcast and pull the audio of you reiterating that exact same fucking point. Because <laughs> you were like, oh, well, I, if Milano's going to play, then I give the, the then I think that the line is maybe a little bit too generous for the Chiefs. But if he doesn't, then this thing could be a blowout. And so, I, I mean, have, have we heard an update, by the way, of like if he's fine or they said he was they said it was minor. And essentially what I've heard is that his removal from the game was almost precautionary because they saw the roof caving in on the Texans and were just like, all right, if you're tweaked, let's just let you sit because next week's more important than this week. And that's kind and of they were AJ, right. And that's when A.J. Klein comes into the game. It'll be interesting to watch the reports and see what his participation is. I don't expect him to practice early in the week. I think it's one of those things where you'll see him ramp up at the end. If he's limited Thursday, I think he's playing. If he's limited Friday, it's a hard maybe. I I, I don't but, think this is a game he misses, but with him in there, Chris, he's been one of the best defensive players in the NFL, not just for the Buffalo Bills this year. That con- Anybody out there who's com- crying in their beer about the contract we gave him? Because remember, we heard a lot of that. Oh, I can't believe they gave him so much money. Yeah, that crowd's gotten real fucking quiet. <laughs> Wait, hold on. People complained about paying Matt Milano? Brad, being a Bills fan is hard sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's hard. Okay, okay. Hold it's on. hard being hold a Bills on. fan sometimes. Look at Matt Milano's contract and look at Darius Leonard's contract. Yeah, I know. 
I, you can tell me. You and me can sit here and we know. We don't even have to have the discussion. But there's some people out there who just, guys, you don't know how lucky you are. But hinging on Matt Milano, I think our defensive unit's a much more imposing one. On the other side of the ball, though, I wish I could say the same thing, but I just can't. I mean, if you're looking at the offense for the Chiefs, there's a reason that they're 2-2 two and two and not, I don't know, 0-4? Oh I mean, tell me, Brad. Yeah. And maybe I'm not just being wild here, but tell me if I'm, if I'm too far out of bounds. If you gave them any quarterback outside of Patrick Mahomes and any offensive play callers and offensive minds outside of Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, is this a one-win football team? Maybe. Because if they don't have Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, they're not. They're probably not beating the Eagles. Like because they let they let they allowed thirty points to the Eagles with two backup offensive tackles. Like that's inexcusable. <laughs> Pat throwing back foot bombs to Tyreek was was really the difference in that game. And I mean they they beat the Browns by like four. So it's like are 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 they going to beat the Browns either without Patrick Mahomes? Probably not. Like. Uh, you know, they lost to the Chargers at home because the Chargers are an equally talented team with an equally talented quarterback. I'm not saying that Justin Herbert is Patrick Mahomes, but in terms of pure talent, how can you say he's not at least up there? Uh, and, and, you know, they lost to the Ravens, too. So it's like, yeah, without Patrick Mahomes, this team, because their defense is so bad and their offensive line took like three weeks to really get going. Yeah, they they might have started legitimately 0-4. To me, that's why Patrick Mahomes, I think, is the early favorite for MVP. It's <laughs> because the only reason the only reason why the Chiefs are even remotely in this game against Buffalo it is because of Patrick Mahomes. Well, and, and that's, I guess, it. And here's an interesting wrinkle, because everyone, I think, I think when you think about what Patrick Mahomes does, if you're the lay fan, you're looking at this going, you know, Chris, this is something I think when you're watching this, you go, oh, well, it's Patrick Mahomes. He throws, he's the guy who can make all the throws. He throws into double coverage. He can throw into triple coverage. He's so accurate. He's he so can talented. throw when not looking at you? Yeah. Well, yes, he can do. To, to, to my chagrin, yes, he could do that. But when you look at the statistics, uh, according to Next Gen Stats, Mahomes has the lowest aggressive pass percentage in the NFL. Which is an indicator that instead of routinely throwing into tight windows, he's more often just throwing into just to open targets. Which tells you that the scheme is still just as potent as it ever was, despite losing, like, we all thought they would lose a step when they lost Sammy Watkins. You look at their wide receiver core and you say, okay, they're not big. There's not a single wide receiver on this roster who can win just with size alone. Um, You've got Travis Kelsey, who obviously is a monster. He's... First ballot Hall of Famer, probably. At the same time, it's easier to take him away on paper when you look at the offense like that and say, well, if he's what you're worried about, with safeties over the top to take away Hill and his deep speed, I don't know what else we're supposed to be threatened by. And yet, here's Mahomes absolutely dissecting people, and then you find out he's not even doing it by challenging legitimately tight windows. And yet, none of his players are getting separation. That's the other damning thing to me. When I look at the way you look at the average separation, Dawson Knox has more separation than Tyreek Hill, than Travis Kelsey, than any other wide receivers. And he's like the third target on our offense. How, to your eye, are they getting this done? 
Patrick Mahomes does a, a particular skill that you can't really teach, and he does this skill better than the vast majority of quarterbacks that have ever played the sport, and that is identifying leverage and throwing against that leverage. You know, if your DB is on the outside hip of a receiver, his ability to throw it high and inside, and I'm not saying like throw a hospital ball high and inside, but to put it where literally only his guys can get it, where they look like it's just a routine pitch and catch, but it's absolutely not. His ability to throw against leverage is unbelievable. And it's it's whether it's, you know, they're they're in scramble drills and he's just he's got this kind of supercomputer in his head that has remarkable spatial awareness. and He could just throw to space and his guys are there. Or if it's on an actual design concept where he's just identifying the, the coverage technique and, hey, if he's stacked over the top, I'm throwing back shoulder. If he's, you know, low shoulder, I'm going to throw it over the top and drop it right in the bucket. Like his ability to just identify leverage and punish leverage against good coverage it's just it's it's unlike very few quarterbacks that i've ever seen play it's it boggles the mind how a quarterback like him can continue putting up the numbers he puts up when everybody knows that he's i mean clyde edwards hilaire remember your famous draft night meltdown i loved it so much that i had chris isolate it and it's a drop that we occasionally play where you're just like cancel it fold the league Cancel the next season because it's over. <laughs> I, we, we, I, we use that drop occasionally on this show. So you look at Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and he's running the ball pretty well over the last few weeks. But a lot of that's just a byproduct of teams trying to take away Mahomes. And the crazy thing is, is that even when they're trying to do that, it's almost impossible. He's that good because of what you said. He can throw to space. He's not taking challenging throws. He's just saying, look, I know where I can throw the ball to make it easy. I just need somebody else on my team to make a play. And routinely they do. This Kansas City Chiefs offensive line is interesting to me. And it's something I want to pick your brain about because going into this season, I said to myself, you've got a, a left tackle that you acquired via trade who's never played in a traditional offense. He, he looked serviceable as a left tackle for sure. And he's cheap. But he didn't play in an offense with a quarterback who actually requires a a sound pocket. Then you're going to put a rookie at center, a rookie at guard, and a rookie at right tackle. For a team that thinks they're Super Bowl contenders, traditionally that's suicide. And yet, so far, it seems like it's, it's had mixed results. What are your feelings about the offensive line in Kansas City? Well, the thing you, you have to remember is these are not just any rookies. These are Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith, both extremely talented players physically, but also they work with Duke Mannyweather. And Duke Mannyweather traditionally, when he puts a guy into the league, even as rookies, they vastly outperform most other, uh, you know, most rookie expectations that you can have for an offensive lineman. You look at his track record with, you know, Kai Becton as a rookie with a phenomenal year. Uh, you know, he works with Lane Johnson. He works with Jensen over in Tampa. Like his, he runs the the OL Masterminds, which is like the the you know the the offensive line summit. Because when an offensive lineman wants to get better, they go to Duke, and his track record is unimpeachable in terms of the guys he puts into the league, even as rookies. And so Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith are playing like pro bowlers as rookies 
because of that. They are not normal rookies. And so I think if Bills fans look at this offensive line and they say, like, oh, it's young guys, you know, we can take advantage of that with our defensive line, you, you probably can't. Like, if anything, I think it's an even matchup up front. Uh, like, again, Kansas City's adjusted line yards per carry is, like, top five in the league right now. Mm-hmm. They, they, it was not that way last year. And this is with an entirely new offensive line that is just starting to gel. First couple weeks – especially going against Cleveland week one in that defensive line. Like, yeah, they had yeah. some issues, communication <laughs> issues, but but they've really put it together the last couple weeks, and their their actual talent is shining through now, and they are road graders up there, man. Like, that, that is honestly the matchup of the game to me, is Chiefs offensive line versus Bills defensive line because they're both really, really good. And whoever wins that particular matchup, it's, it's going to have a massive impact on that game. Well, in that way, what's your feeling about Lucas Niang? Niang was a guy that I know I'd, I'd seen you tweet about a little bit pre-draft uh, back in 2019. I know that a lot of guys were high on him. It was a guy that I looked at. I said, okay, well, based on everything I'm hearing, I wouldn't mind it if the Bills decided, hey, this is a guy we could go out for. The Chiefs draft him as a rookie, and he never plays because he opts out of the league for COVID concerns. Now, when you look at it, he's had kind of an up-and-down year. Is he the weak link on this line? If there was a weak link, yeah, it's probably him. But that's, again, comparing it to everybody else. you got Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith. If you're going to attack anybody, it's Niang. I think, you know, if you can get Epinesa against him one-on-one all day, AJ's going to get some work done. So, really, the key for McDermott and all these guys is figuring out, okay, how can we get Epinesa isolated. Are we going to walk the linebackers up? Are we going to threaten with a safety? Are we going to, you know, try to get it so that the running backs are going the other direction and the tight ends are going the other direction? Because if you can get that one-on-one, you got a shot. All the other one-on-one matchups across the board, I think, could legitimately favor the Chiefs. But AJ versus Niang, that's what you want. On its face, what do you like about this matchup for Buffalo? Just from the top down. Uh, I would say offensively, um, skill position versus their corners other than maybe LeJarius Sneed. LeJarius Sneed's a better player than I think people give him credit for. If you get, like, digs on Mike Hughes, yeah, give me digs all day. Uh, if you give me Beasley against, uh, God, who would be who would be their nickel? Because they have many different guys played nickel. I guess it depends on the matchup. But, like, Knox, I think, is playing well. Again, Singletary out in space on these linebackers. Like, give me that all day. So I would say skill position players for Buffalo is an advantage. Um, I would say linebacking core for Buffalo, if Milano plays, is going to be a big factor. Because I think Milano out in space on, on Kelsey is something that – I can live with. Again, it's not ideal. Anybody covering Kelsey one-on-one is not well, no. ideal. But, but I'll say this. But it's it, something I can live with. It's one of those matchups where you think back to last year's Baltimore game, Chris. Last year against Baltimore, the Bills sold out on stopping the run and not so much pressuring Lamar Jackson but containing him. And they did a great job of it. But a lot of that was it was possible because they have Matt Milano, who a lot of times you'd watch him lined one-on-one with Mark Andrews, and he more often than not won that battle. Now, Mark Andrews 
is not Travis Kelsey. <laughs> there is no Travis Kelsey. I mean, I'd, I'd argue that Travis Kelsey, I know everybody talks about Gronk, and Gronk, when he was pre-injury in his prime, was probably one of the best tight ends we've ever seen play. I'd argue Gronk is, I mean, Kelsey is maybe a little bit better as a pure receiver. I, I don't, Yeah. I, I mean, am I crazy for saying that? Well, here, here's the thing. Stylistically, they're very different. Kelsey yes. is so improvisational. Yes. That that's what makes him impossible. To He's cover. playing basketball. Gronk, that's it. He's just yes. running around playing basketball where it's like, hey, I'm not open. Fine. I'll run to this open spot and put my hands up and I'll just box out and play ball. Gronk in the first two and a half seconds of a route was unstoppable. Kelsey after the first two seconds of a route is unstoppable. Like once Kelsey's able to shake and just kind of find space because again everything he runs is an option route I don't care what the concept is everything's an option route you're literally not going to stop him so either you bracket him to contain him in the later phase of a play where he really does a lot of his damage uh, or you just you you go all out and you try to get to Mahomes before he can shake free again Gronk was a little bit different because he would beat you off the line or he'd just win with size and Tom would throw it up again Basically, as soon as he hit his drop, it's very it's like they're both equally unstoppable, but different styles. So, again, if you're going to look at like if Mahomes is rolling out, who has the advantage, Milano in space or Kelsey in space, it's Kelsey. So you could either bracket him or you're sending the safeties, you're sending the linebackers like you're just bring you're overwhelming the line of scrimmage to get the ball out quick and you're taking your chances making tackles in space. It's 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 crazy to me. I it's going this is like a rock paper scissors match that there, there's not a good answer for. Like it's going to be every play both teams just rolling the dice and seeing what comes up. I find it interesting that there's the over under is listed at just 56 and a half points. When you look at what both these offenses are, that, why, that's primarily because of Buffalo's defense playing well. I okay. guarantee it. Okay, so are you hammering the over on this? I I don't mean to sound like a broken record every time I come on the show, but it really does depend on if Milano's playing. Because when you look at, like, let's say let's let's go back to the AFC Championship game. I did like three episodes on the on the Chiefs' offense last year. The first one was it was when they played against Tampa and I identified their weakness against two high shells versus one high shells and how when Tampa switched to two high uh, and still plugged up the run from two high, the Chiefs offense completely fell apart. And I was like, hey, that's an issue because Pat's dropping 12 yards deep in the pocket when they're when they're cutting these crossers from two high. All of a sudden he's taking away his best throw and then he's he's getting sacked. And so fast forward to the AFC championship game. And I was like, look, Buffalo plays a lot of two high. And they had a good four-man rush at that point. I was like, that, that's that's a threat. Like, I think Buffalo can win that game, assuming Milano plays. And then what happens? The Chiefs come out. They RPO. They dink and dunk to death. They're getting the ball out on three-step drops, partially probably because Mahomes is playing on a bad foot, which maybe influenced that game plan a little bit. But they completely switched their offensive style, and they absolutely crushed Buffalo with it. And then I did an episode on that, and I said, oh, my God, they changed. Now I think that they can actually play against Tampa when they're going too high. I think Kansas City has a shot. And then we go to the Super Bowl, and they revert right back to dropping too deep in the pocket, trying to stretch the field too much, and Tampa blew them out. So when I look at this rematch, I I think a lot depends on if Milano plays, and also a lot depends on is Kansas City going to revert back to, you know, 
going deep at all costs, try to go blow for blow with Josh Allen, or will they do what we've kind of seen them do so far this year, which is dink and dunk and dink and dunk and run the ball and and do exactly what they did at Buffalo in the AFC Championship game. I don't know what they're going to do, and so it's a really hard game to bet on. But if they do go that kind of quick game dink and dunk style, yeah, hammer the over. Brett, I'm, you've, I'm sure in the aftermath of this, there's going to be a lot of great content for you out there. I'm sure you guys are going to talk about it over on the bootleg. I'm sure if the Bills win, EJ is going to be a little bit fired up just because he's got a little bit of, uh, he's still got a little bit of Western New York in his blood. Where can people find all of your work on social and where can they find uh, your upcoming stuff over there on YouTube? What do you have coming up on the channel? Uh doing um, kind of a part two on the Panthers run defense and how Dallas put up almost 250 rushing yards on them. And this was a a rushing defense that only allowed 45 a game leading up to this. And everybody's like, oh, my God, Brett, you cursed them. And yes, I did. But I'm also going to explain what the Panthers (laughs) did wrong and and why why they got away from what was working schematically. I think they way overthought themselves in their 10 days they had to prepare and they, they outsmarted themselves and changed a whole bunch of stuff that they didn't need to change. And and Dallas punished that. So I think it's going to be a fascinating episode looking at everything they did wrong. And then, uh, you know, we got the bootleg football podcast coming out. Uh, we're definitely going to be talking about Bill's Chiefs because that's one of the big games of the entire season. Brett Coleman, he's on Twitter at Brett Coleman Film Room on YouTube. Bootleg football podcast. Dude is does phenomenal work. There was an interesting piece of this conversation that you guys missed because we had it off air. I asked I asked Brett the question, who needs this game more? You know, who who does the, who, who is this game more important to? Buffalo or Kansas City? One of the difficult things about this is that when you look at the Buffalo Bills, Chris, you touched on it a little bit at the beginning of the show. The Buffalo Bills are they're a team that we expect to win the AFC this year, AFC East this year. Yep. Two game lead. And they're a team that we expect to be in the running to win the division every year for quite a while. Next ten to fifteen years. I don't know about that. Jesus Christ. That's you're pretty How long are we gonna have Josh Allen? You're the literally next- forecasting a dynasty. No, just winning the division and say we're going to win the Super Bowl. No, I think that we're going to have years where, listen, we can win this division. Right now, the Kansas City Chiefs are in the basement of their own division looking up at everybody else. Younger, cheaper quarterbacks. Teams that are on the rise. Teams that have star players in positions that the Chiefs can't afford to put them in. And they're 2-2 two and two looking up at everybody knowing that if they lose this game against the Buffalo Bills. I mean, Chris, if we were to just compare the two schedules, right? After this game, we have the Tennessee Titans. We have a bye week. Then we play the Dolphins, the Jaguars, the Jets, and the Colts. That's a stretch of games where the Bills, you'd be hard-pressed. You you won't see them as an underdog in any of those football games. No, it might be a touchdown favorite. You, well, that's my point. They're going to be heavily favored over the next stretch of their schedule. Let's flip around and look at the Kansas City Chiefs. When they get done with Buffalo, they go on the road to Washington. They go on the road to Tennessee. They play the Giants. And then over the course of like five weeks, they play the Packers, the Raiders on the road, the Cowboys. Then they have the the Broncos at home, 
then the Raiders, then the Chargers again. Steelers and Cincy, whatever, they finish in Denver on the road. Their schedule gets harder. They're going to have to play their division opponents again. They haven't even seen the Raiders. The Raiders beat them once last year and almost, almost beat them a second time. I This is my fear for this football game. That the Buffalo Bills, out of a sense of urgency, don't need this the way the Kansas City Chiefs do. And in that way, we're going to get the kitchen sink treatment. That makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. I just, I look at this dynamic and I say to myself, if there was ever a time that I'd want to beat the Chiefs, right? That you'd really want, because Conan said it best. What is best in life? No, wait, wait, Chris, don't tell me. Conan? Conan would say, Viva La Rasa. Wait, what are you, what did you just say? Viva La Rasa, the uh, leader of the LWO, that Conan. I hate you so... I hate you on a level... You've never seen the movie, Conan. No, I thought... The whole time, I thought you were talking about Conan and WCW. Nobody talks about Conan for... I didn't even know that's a real human being. No. To quote Conan, the the best thing in life is to crush your enemies, to see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentations of their women. That's it. Chris, knowing that that's what I want... That that's what I look like in sports. That's what I think of. I don't just want to win this game because, listen, on even footing, people are going to go, the Bills are this, the Bills are that. The Bills are still a good football team. No, I want to emphatically, like, I want to hurt their fan base. I want Patrick Mahomes' fiance to cry after this game. I want his little brother to have to go make a very sad TikTok when this is all over. I want... No, I guess that's the thing. Like, when you think about how desperate the Chiefs are to win this football game, good. I want that. And at the peak of your desperation and at the height of all your talents, I want to beat you in front of the entire country. Because that's that's how I know that this Buffalo Bills football team is actually capable of all these accolades people keep throwing at us. Okay? That's what... So, it's not a must-win football game for us. But I want it so badly I can taste it. And there's a couple ways they're going to get there. That leads right into this week's Keys to Victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. The first one, just like against the Washington football team. Again, Chris, the Washington football team. I gotta the say Washington Redskins. i got to say it slowly <laughs> so I don't get in trouble. Attack the linebackers in the middle of the field through the air. When I started looking over the stat sheets, the game reviews, and the analytics, there's one glaring issue that grabs my attention about Kansas City, and Brett kind of alluded to it, but I don't think he did it justice. Kansas City's linebackers and defensive backs are really, really having a tough go of things when it comes to trying to protect the scenes in the middle of the field. I mean, nickel cornerback Legereus Sneed, Daniel Sorensen, their strong safety, they play 97% of all defensive snaps. Linebackers Ben Neiman and Nick Bolton play 71 and 62. So they are your de facto starters. The linebackers have been targeted 18 times and there's only been two incompletions. The DBs have 17 targets and have a matching 14 receptions allowed. For those of you keeping score at home, that's 34 targets in the middle of the football field over over four weeks and only six incomplete passes. 
In total, the Chiefs defenders manning the center of the field have allowed 85% of those passes to get completed for 514 yards. That's almost half of the passing yards Josh Allen's been able to throw this season. And it was given up by just those four players through four games. And each of the DBs in question have a touchdown against them in coverage. The Bills have already illustrated that they are more than equipped to beat up on teams that suffer from miscommunications the way these guys do and who can't take away the middle of the field well. Beasley, 4.1 yards after the catch per reception against Washington. He's 14 of 16 for 102 yards on throws that are less than 10 yards downfield in the middle of the field in that spot that these nickel linebackers are going to have to have responsibility for. Dawson Knox, 10 yards before the catch against Washington. 6 of 7 for 78 yards and one touch on throws up the seams. Again, nickel linebackers and safeties. This is where they're supposed to be doing the, the work. Stephon Diggs, when, he, when you can rotate him or slide him over and a nickel corner has to cover him, he's 2 for 2 for 18 yards and a touch in the middle of the field. So in the red zone, he's a guy you can look at. The Bills have only used, and then, and then so Chris, doesn't all the, the wall of statistics that I just threw at you, doesn't that seem to bode well for Buffalo's chances in terms of this being a sizable mismatch between the two teams? Yeah, it does. Can't wait. Then think about this. The Bills have only used play action on 28% of their pass attempts so far this season. In the last two weeks, they've turned their rushing attack loose on people. A part of me is hoping it's because they've been saving that play action for a game like this one. Because if they can establish at least a threat to run effectively, which it seems every single team has been able to do effectively against Kansas City, it's going to give guys like Davis and Knox and Beasley just a beat or two. That's an area of the field I expect them to be able to not just win, but dominate. Because it's strength versus glaring weakness. It's like rock, paper, scissors against my grandfather who cut, cut, cut his finger off on the table saw. You already know that there's some things he can't do well. Defensive line play. Specifically defensive ends against their offensive tackles. Now, if you go out there and you listen to any Chiefs podcast, which is something I do when they lose because I'm a petty son of a bitch and this is the pettiest Bills podcast in existence, it brings a few constants to your attention. One, their fans are cocky sons of bitches. The way they just assume scoring 40 is something that they're going to do every single week, and that's going to be the reason that their team is great. Also, everyone is mad about their offensive tackle play, and it's not hard to see why. Orlando Brown, we talked about him earlier. He came from an offense that a lot of pistol, a lot of RPO, he wasn't asked to play in a natural, like, hey, you have to create a pocket. You have to do traditional left tackle things. And he's learning on the fly. He's not terrible, but he hasn't been great. Lucas Niang, who's technically a second-year player, which we talked about, he's playing next to another rookie. So while Trey Smith and uh, the, the guy that I, Creed Humphrey, the guy that I thought the Bills would take on, I really thought we were going to take him over Boogie Basham. He's on his own, and over the last two games, these two have been the worst pass blockers on Kansas City's team, allowing 13 pressures and 9 hurries over the last two games, and providing mediocre results in the run game. Now, I, I, I look at this, and I, I to, to his point about getting Epinesa one-on-one against Niang being one of those mismatches we can try to prioritize, those top three guys, Epinesa, Huge, and Rousseau, they lead our team in hurries. 
and what is it, 28 pressures and two sacks through four games. I think this game is a good heat check for our defensive end room. You know, everyone's giving us credit for having this strong defensive line. Here's two struggling tackles and some young guys on the interior defensive offensive line that are really going to have to do some work against what I think are... Chris, do we or do we not have one of the better front sevens right now, the way they're playing in, in the AFC? Maybe not even... Maybe in the entire NFL. Yes, right now we have a good D-line, and I think a lot of that uh, is attributed to with the rotation we have with everybody. Nobody's... I don't think anybody's dominating with the snap percentages. And this is the other thing. You look at that and he says, oh, well, you know, Brett goes on. Oh, no, all those guys are playing so well. Everything they're doing is humming. The offense is going. They haven't done it against a team that has our coverage units in tandem with our front seven. If we can fluster Mahomes into making the kind of, the kind of mistakes and the miscoms that their offense had against the Chargers, we have a legitimate shot to run away with this thing with the way their defense is playing. We have, we can keep pace by suppressing the productivity of those downfield weapons. And I think Ed Oliver and Starr are also going to play a role in this. I mean, they're going to have to. I mean, they've been great over the first first part of the season. It's going to remain a necessity. I mean, against Houston this last week, we talked about it. You saw them run some games with defensive ends in terms of stunts and these looping rushes around the back of defensive linemen. But the hesitation that that created, Oliver and Starr, if they get one-on-one, are they're winning way more consistently than either one of them has thus far in a Bills jersey. I can't wait to see what that looks like against young kids. Okay, I don't care. What, I, I don't care. I get that the DB, the, the offensive line guru that these guys went to, oh, he's great, and he coaches these guys up. I like our chances. There's one last key that I want to give everybody, and I think it's, Chris, I think it's the most important one because it's not just, hey, X's and O's, stats, this is better than that. It goes much deeper than that, and it has to do with something that we're all really familiar with here. That's right! We can't have anyone freak out out there, okay? We've got to keep our composure! We've got too far! There's too much to lose! We've got to just keep our composure! Composure is the final key for the Buffalo Bills this Sunday. That's, that's from top to bottom, that's the biggest piece is the Buffalo Bills keeping their shit together? Don't soft toss the football at a lineman after you get sacked. No, fuck that, and fuck that guy. <laughs> no, you soft toss that. In fact, if he spiked it off his helmet, I'd be. You know what? I'm cool with that. I don't give a shit. Everyone has to go into this game knowing what it is and being able to ride the emotions of it, and also doing the work ahead of time to know that you're not going to have the. Chris, for our defense, that means no untimely penalties. That means playing assignment-sound football in our linebacker core because our DBs are going to need all the help they can get in coverage. With Travis Kelsey out there, I mean, there's no DB on earth that can cover that guy. And yet, we can't afford a repeat of last year's game where we simply give them the rushing attack. For Josh, that means having a recognition that he doesn't have to try to win the game on every single throw. And that this team knows him well enough to try to bait him into poor decisions. In that first matchup last season, they threw a ton of window dressing in terms of changing coverages and simulated pressure at Allen. And while the weather didn't help, I mean, that was a shitty, rainy day here in Buffalo, he had 122 passing yards. You have a smile on your face if you want to say something. No, I'm thinking about something else later. Oh, boy. 
122 passing yards, and even more damning, just three completions beyond 10 yards downfield. After rebounding after that game down the stretch of 2020, Josh Allen was being talked about as an MVP candidate, and yet we meet them again in the AFC Championship game. And in that game, they flipped the script from what they did last time. And they turned loose this ferocious, multi-level pass rush that again had Allen on his heels all game. The result? Pretty similar. I mean, he threw for 160 more yards, but he only completed five passes beyond 10 yards and just three in the middle of the field where their coverage units are the worst. He needs to figure out how to be zen in these moments. That Prove that he's learned from those experiences and just continue to do all these little things that we've talked about that he's been doing well ever since that week one loss. And put the boots to what has been one of the NFL's worst defensive units through four weeks of football. In literally every category. I don't want to hear any more of this. I don't want to hear any more of this concept of, oh, well, you know, the the Chiefs, they just reinvented. You know, we heard Brett say it. Oh, they reinvented their game plan. They reinvented who they are. They're the NFL's shittiest defense in damn near every category. I want you to remain composed and remember that, Josh Allen. Go into that game knowing that they're the NFL's shittiest defense, and I want you to treat them that way. Know that it's possible, it's doable, and even though they have the book on you, or so they think, remain composed. And for our coaching staff, that means coming into this game eyes wide open and prepared as to what they themselves should expect and how to handle it. In the first meeting of these two teams last season, now Chris, I'm going to discount. Back in 2017, McDermott and Andy Reid faced each other. But you know who their quarterbacks were? Who? Tyrod Taylor and uh, what's his face? Thad Lewis? Dude with half a leg now. Uh, Alex Smith. Ah. Those were their quarterbacks. Neither one of them are franchise quarterback material. No. Okay? So the first time they squared off with, I think I have a franchise quarterback, you think you have one, head-to-head. I'm kind of the, this is like one of those you know, student versus the master moments. McDermott and Frazier planned so strongly for a pass-heavy game script that they gave the Chiefs 245 total yards of rushing and just let them control the pace of play for the entirety of the game. Then the second time around, they said, okay, we think we have a plan in place to stop them from running the ball on us again. They not only didn't plan well for that because Travis Kelsey and Terry Kill just went nuts in our secondary but then they also failed to foresee the onslaught of pressure the Chiefs were going to put on our quarterback. And not only did their offensive game plan deteriorate, but worse, they didn't have a pivot. They didn't know how to respond. And then they turtled in moments that might have called for a little more killer instinct. And that's the thing. Like when you're, Chris, when you're getting punched and you're in the, like, think about a boxing match. When you're in the corner, just out, you don't know boxing. When you're in the corner. I used to have a video of you. Teaching Bob Gutierrez how to box in the basement of Poinciana at you ordered some huge fight, dude. I'd, oh yeah, it was Conor McGregor versus uh, Floyd Mayweather. That sounds about right. I'll tell you what, I'd mop the floor with Bob Gutierrez, even though he doesn't think so. 
Well, you you have a long reach. You I could, do have a deceptively long reach. It's it's done me well over the years. Your truck is parked right outside my apartment. You could reach out the window <laughs> and grab something out of the truck right now while sitting it's, at my kitchen table. It's one of those things where when you're in the corner and you're taking shots, sometimes you have to have a little fight in it yourself. You can't just lay back and let them keep coming at you and just hope it'll solve itself. That's not how fist fights end. And that's not how football games against desperate football teams end. They will continue raining down on you until it's over. I I want to see this team. Because, Chris, I fully expect the Chiefs to come out loaded for bear and throw everything they have at us. And when they do that, I want to know that even when we get punched in the mouth, we're going to have a response. And that our staff is going to have a response. And that they're going to have plans and contingencies in place in case, hey, maybe they have a, a plan that runs counter to what we thought. Then we have, we need to have a pivot. Sean McDermott was given a six-year extension because he's proven he's a capable leader. And he's a builder of a culture that's unlike anything we've had here in Buffalo for decades. We also think he's capable of building building something here that with this pair of coordinators at his side could take this team all the way to the Super Bowl. None of that changes if the Bills lose on Sunday. But in a league where the prevailing sentiment is that if you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. Chris, you don't get to the Super Bowl by squeaking by. You don't get to knock over a bunch of tomato cans. You don't get to shut out the Houston Texans for 16 weeks and then go to a Super Bowl. That's not how this works. You have to earn the right to be to be a division winner, to be a conference winner, to be a Super Bowl winner. McDermott and his coaching staff have accomplished more in that regard than any of their predecessors. And they've had to railroad some of the best to ever do it in the process. They've beaten Ron Rivera. They've beaten Sean McVay. Uh, Carroll, Harbaugh, Tomlin, Bilicek. Every one of those teams has been beaten by the Buffalo Bills at some point in the last two years. Now you've got one of the one of the NFL's best offensive minds in Andy Reid and the game's best quarterback standing in your way. And twice now, they've taken you to the woodshed. I need this coaching staff to have some composure. Show that you're not going to get rattled in the moment. You know, this, the moment, something the Chiefs have learned how to shine in. Show that it's not too big for you either. And that you too can put together a cohesive game plan to attack your opponent's many weaknesses. And that you have it in you to get over this latest and maybe biggest hurdle. Revenge game? Measuring stick game? Must win game? The reality is it's just one game? But it's one game that could decide the future of an opponent that, Chris, do we want to see them back here in Buffalo or do we want to have to go to Arrowhead in the playoffs? I'd like them here in Buffalo. In that way, a loss won't kill me. It won't. But damn, if victory won't make my inevitable hangover on Monday morning that much sweeter. And if you're listening to this podcast, my guess is you're probably right there with me. So in that way, I can't wait to see this thing come on down. Huge shout out to Brett for taking time out of his schedule to join us. We got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your preview 
of the Buffalo Bills of Kansas City.